It's really what makes shows like Seinfeld and Friends and maybe if you go way back, Cheers, so popular, in my opinion. It's that feeling when you watch, especially those sitcom shows of a group of people, it's that feeling that we, a lot of us have that I could be friends with them. Like, I could be in that group. Like, if they knew me, they would so like me. Like, my sense of humor, it would fit right in. I would be like the other, the next one, and we'd hang out. And we would be friends if they knew me. Now, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. I, I don't know what your fantasy world is made up of. Uh, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you'd fit right in with them. But, but that's one of the things about watching these shows that, that have as a cast a group of friends that have a good time and are funny and are good looking is we think, I'm pretty good looking, right? Like I, I could be one of them. I could be in the poster. It's also why when those shows end, they get canceled or they decide we're not going to do any more seasons, it's why you feel like you lost a friend. It's like, how am I going to make it without these people every Thursday night? They're part of my family. Or worse, when one of the characters dies, like you feel like you knew them. Listen, Jack from This Is Us is going to die. He's going to die. And I know it's not going to happen this season. They've already told us it's not going to happen until next season. But that moment is coming. Therapy. And people are going to be more... Right, like there's going to be counseling set up and therapy, and people are going to be mourning for days. Some people are going to call in sick the next day, and he's not even real. Like it's not even a real person. But you you get this attachment to these characters that you like on a television show, and that means one of two things. That that means we are psychotic as just a population of people in 2017. Or that means that there's something inside of us that really desires to connect to other people. Or maybe both. Maybe we're psychotic and we want to connect to other people. But I, but I think foundationally, I, I think a part of who we are, there's some part of the way God made us that, that desires to know people and be known by people and, and to, to hang out with people and to have relationships that span not just an evening, but span years and seasons of our life, even and maybe even for some of them, span our entire life, that we're connected to people, that, that we see things the same way, and we share humor, and we share points of view, and we encourage one another. Now, in the church, we feel, I think, if I can step back and look at us, we feel a pressure to, to really spiritualize that part of us, right? Preachers do. Preachers feel a pressure to, like, make it this really spiritual thing and, like, come up with names and terms for it. Like, we need to build community and, like, we need to do life together. We need to fellowship. You know, let's get together and let's fellowship. And maybe we just need to say, you know what? We all need a friend, Maybe two, maybe a couple. We all need a friend. And, and there's nothing wrong with those phrases. I use them. Uh, I'll use them again in the future. I mean, appropriately used to define. All of those phrases have meaning. 
But sometimes we just over-spiritualize things that maybe we just need to simplify. As I was thinking about this message, I realized that I probably only talk about this topic when I'm trying to get you to join a community group. I'm just being honest. Uh, um, Especially here at Journey. I, I don't think I've ever talked about this human connection outside of, and oh, by the way, we have a program for that. Which there's nothing wrong with the program. Community group is great. And, and the people who are in community groups, they'll tell you, hey, I'm building relationships with a lot of great people. I'm, I made friends in community. It, maybe we just need to talk about it. You need to be in community group. But what I'm saying is sometimes maybe we just need to step back and say, community group's a good place to find it. But what you need is a friend. You, you need people in your life. One or two or three or, or, or however many, you need a friend, and, 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 and God would tell you the same thing. I mean, God, all throughout his, his word, has said, you need this kind of people in your life. And the reason he says that is because he created you and me to need people, to lean on people, to be encouraged by people, to laugh with people, to share joys and sorrows with other people. We were not created to go through life by ourselves. I know the pushback that some of us give when it comes to this topic, this relational friendship topic. I know the pushback that we give, and it's real, and it's genuine, and it's true, is that, yeah, but I've I had some really bad experiences with friends. I mean, let's be honest. If you're over the age of probably 14, you have a bad friend story in your history. You have a messy friend story. You have a, I trusted them, and then they betrayed my trust. Like, I thought we were friends, and they did this to me. Everything was great, and then all of a sudden... We all have that story in our lives. But that story, as true as it is and as painful as maybe they are, that story doesn't change that we were created to connect heart to heart with other human beings as we walk through this life. There's a passage in Proverbs that really, it can apply to a lot of different situations. It it applies to this one in particular. Uh, you're not going to think it applies at first, so let me explain. I'm going to read it. Let me explain it. Proverbs 14.4, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvest. So the Bible is written largely in agrarian cultures, so farmers and ranchers and, and, and uh, people who work in the fields. So there's a lot of analogies that relate to farming. This would be one of them, obviously. And so the proverb writer is giving us this lesson, this this moral, we might say. And and basically he's saying, look, if you don't have an ox, then you don't ever have to clean the barn. It's great. Like the barn's always clean. You don't have to scoop anything. You don't have to put out straw. You don't have to clean up any mess. It is perfectly clean all of the time. But you know what? You don't have an ox to help you plant the crops and help you harvest either. Your harvest is going to be a lot less. Sometimes it's neater and cleaner to live life a certain way. But if you do, you sacrifice the goodness that was intended when it comes to friends. I understand the argument. 
It's just easier for me to keep a distance from everybody. I understand it. I totally understand. It's, I understand the argument of, I just don't have to deal with the mess. I don't have to deal with the betrayal. I don't have to deal with the mistrust and all of those things if I just keep people at a distance. And the proverb writer would say, yeah, your barn's clean if you do that. But you know what you're missing? You're, you're missing all the goodness that your soul was intended to experience by having a friend. Yeah, it's a risk sometimes. Yeah, there's hurt sometimes. But there is goodness and encouragement and soul-satisfying relationships that you're only going to experience if you step out, if you put yourself out there into relationship. There, there are multiple friendships that are described in the Bible. I want to, I want to mention two uh, relationships as we go through this morning. One in the Old Testament, one in the, in the New Testament. The one in the Old Testament... It's between two guys. Their names are, are, are David and Jonathan, fairly familiar characters. David is the one who kills the giant, Goliath. He becomes king. Jonathan's dad is the king before David. And so there's all kind of things that could have been going on in their relationship. We won't get into that. But 1 Samuel chapter 18, David has just killed Goliath, and, and Saul is now making him like a, a special place in his government, essentially. And this is what we read, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as he loved himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Hey, what, a, what a powerful relational term. This is not husband and wife. This is, this is two guys who look at each other and say, like, like, we need to be friends. We're going to commit to each other. They, they, they probably saw things in a similar way. They, they had some similar life experiences. Their personalities meshed, maybe. But there was this moment that they said, look, we're going to commit to one another. And, and the Bible describes it as Jonathan saying that he loved David the way he loved himself. Some translations say, Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. That was the level of care and love and commitment from one friend to another. And, and this is what God desires for us to share with other people, not with every other person. I, I realize you're not going to have that level of friendship with every person that you meet. The Bible says David and Jonathan had that relationship. It doesn't say David had that relationship with everybody or Jonathan made that commitment to everybody. But there was something about their lives that drew them together and they said, look, we're going we're gonna to be friends. We're going to walk through life together. We're going to share ups and downs together. And that's exactly what you find as long as the two of them live. This encouragement, this empathy towards one another, this strengthening of one another. Again, you're not going to have that with every person that you, that you meet. You can be friendly. You're, you're not going to love, in a sense, every person. Be kind to every person. You're, you're not going to love every person the way you love your own soul. The point is, who are you experiencing life with in that way? Who are you encouraging their heart and allowing them to encourage you? It's not going to be everyone. It's not even going to be everyone you want to be connected to in that way. Have you ever, maybe it's just me, but there have been people I've met and, and I've thought, man, we should be friends. 
we should be tight. We should, you and me. And they didn't want to be friends, right? It's hard for you to believe, knowing me, right? It's like, how could somebody not want to be your friend? That's what I'm saying. But I've had this time where I thought, man, we, it'd be great. And for whatever reason, personalities or seasons of life, we couldn't connect or, or they didn't want to be my friend. You're not going to connect even with every person you want to. The question is, am I, am I open to who God's putting in my life right now? Man, am I open to investing the time and energy that it might take to have this type of relationship with one or two or three other people? Am, am I open to that? Or am I so busy that, that I'm not carving out of my schedule human connection time, real friend time? The other person I think about when it comes to friendships and relationships in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. And it's kind of a, it's different from David and Jonathan. What I see in Paul in the New Testament is that Paul's always with somebody. Like wherever he goes, he takes somebody with him. There's Paul and Barnabas, and there's Paul and Silas, and then there's Paul and Timothy. It's like there's always people. Paul, Paul was, must have been a people person. Maybe he was an extrovert. I don't know. But Paul's always got somebody with him that he's sharing life and his heart and, and pouring into, and he's getting encouraged by. When he wraps up a lot of his letters, he writes a lot of the New Testament. And when he wraps up, oh, I'm praying for him. Hey, there's always this list of, hey, say hey to this person. Let this person know I'm praying for him. Hey, speak to this person. And by the way, so-and-so's here with me. We're hanging out, and they said to tell you hi. And so-and-so's here, and he said to tell you hi, and he's doing well. You thought he was sick. He's not sick. He's good. Everything's good. They're all with me. This is how the letters of Paul read. Hey, this person and that person. When Paul gets to the end of his life, I'm pretty sure as he thinks back across the history of his life, he doesn't think of places. He thinks of people. He doesn't think, well, you know, there was, there was my time in Ephesus and my time in Galatia and my time in Philippi, and, and then the Rome thing happened, and then I, I was trying to go to Asia. And I, was, I don't think Paul thought in terms of geography. I think he thought in terms of the people that he was with. I was with Priscilla and Aquila, and then there was Lydia, and we got to hang out. We got to start the church together, and then I was with this person. What a, what a rich life it would be to get to the end of our lives. And when we look back, what we see in the rearview mirror is not where we worked and where we lived and where our kids went to school, but it's names and faces and people and hearts and journeys that we took together. I mean, that, that sounds like the life that God wants for us. Paul, Paul writes at the beginning of Philippians, he's writing to these people, and he says, I thank God every time I remember you. It's like my heart gets so full because of our friendship, our relationship, and, and what we've experienced together and what we've seen God do. I just thank God for you. And not all of Paul's relationships worked well. I mean, there were some that went off the rails, right? And, and there was some betrayal there, and then there was some conflict there. Paul experienced all of that too. But that did not stop him from continuing to make connection with other people and share his life and, and, and allow them to share their lives with him. So what does the Bible teach us about, about friendship? Let's not call it anything other than, than friendship. What does the Bible teach us? Some of this you've probably heard before, but be good to review it today. For one, the Bible teaches us that, that friends influence us. like They impact us. 
They, they, they change us. They, make us. they make us different. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Like the people that you're around, they shape the trajectory of your life. They shape who you become. They shape you spiritually. They shape you personally. Proverbs 12. Like, yeah, just choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Like, yes, I want to be careful. Yeah, yes, I want to, I want to become friends with somebody that's going to pour into me, that's going to help me, which, which is the next thing. Not only do friends influence us, but the right friends make us better. Maybe you've heard Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We were intended to make each other better. Intended to encourage each other. We were intended to bring out the best in each other. If you're a parent, <clears throat> you know that this is, this is one of the challenges of, of parenting. As you see your children making friends and connecting in friendship, because there's always a part of you that's wondering, all right, is that person going to help my child be their best? Or the opposite. Is that person not going to encourage the best in my child? Trying to teach our children to have that wisdom and that discernment to know that the more I'm around this person, the more negative things start coming out of my life. Whereas the more I'm around this person, the more positive things start coming out of, out of my life. That's the way friends are. They, they bring out either the best in us or not the best in us. Another lesson from the Bible. A friend is at their best <clears throat> when life is at its worst. friend is at their best when life is at its worst. If you want to know who your friends are, see who hangs around when things get tough. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Like a real stick-close friend, they are at their best when life is at its worst, when, when everything falls apart. I've seen it in my life, as I look back over my life, when I've had challenging seasons, difficult seasons, th there were always some people who stepped up in those, in those seasons. And there were always people who shrank back in those seasons. And you're, you're probably the same way. When you look at your life, uh, you hit a rough patch or, or a tragedy in your life. There's always some people who step up, like they step into the void, they step into the gap, they show up in those moments, and then there's always people who kind of disappear in those moments. <laughs> and that can be very clarifying when it comes to friendships. It has been for me. It's been very clarifying for me to be able to say, I thought the relationship was one thing, but obviously it's not what I thought it was. And that's okay. It's not something to get angry about. It's just something to know, to realize. I thought our friendship was at this point, but I mean, when things got hard, I realized it really wasn't at that point. Those times can be very, very clarifying for us. Now, that's not to say, that's not to say that our friends always agree with us. I went through a bad patch and you stuck by me and told me I was great. That's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, one of the tests of a really deep relationship is that somebody can be honest with you and you still love each other. Right? Here's Proverbs 27. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend. Like, 
a, a real friend, like not just anybody can say this to you, but somebody you've been through some things with can say, look, I love you and I'm on your side. I don't think you handled this the right way. Let me just, let me just give you my two cents worth. And after this conversation, I'm still on your side. You think about it this way. You can be by someone's side without taking their side all the time. You can be, you say, look, I'm, I'm with you. Shoulder to shoulder. We're together. I think you probably shouldn't have said that. I think you could have handled this differently. I mean, that's, that's when you know you've got a good friend. Because here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to say those things to you eventually. Like somebody's going to confront you eventually, and if it's not your friend, it's probably going to be somebody who doesn't have your best interest at heart, right? How good is it to have somebody on the front end step in and say, look, I love you. I'm pro you. I'm on your side. Through this, after this, absolutely, I think you need to think about this versus somebody who intends to harm you by bringing that information to you. Some questions to think about. Because I, I think we, we need an assessment sometimes. We just talk about this friendship idea. Sometimes I think we need a personal assessment to ask this question, am I capable of having a friend? Not do I want a friend. Most of us would say, yeah, I'm friend. I'll take a friend, right? Am I a person that can sustain a friendship with another person? And we probably need to ask this question at various times in our life, right? Because the answer may be one thing as a teenager and something different in our 20s and something different in our 30s and our 50s and 70s and 80s. The, the answer may change, but I think we, we need to ask, is, is the problem me if I'm struggling relationally? That's not always the problem. I'm not blaming. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, good diagnostic question. Am I the type of person that can sustain a real friendship with another with another person. Here, here's some things you might ask. Am I currently capable of caring for someone as much as I care about myself? Remember what Jonathan said to David? Like, I love you as much as I love me. I love you as much as I love my soul. I care about you. If you're struggling in friendship relationships, maybe come back to this question and say, Am I able to care about somebody as much as I care about me? Am I, am I able to put somebody else ahead of me? Another question. Am I willing to invest time and energy into a relationship? Just be honest. Am I willing to put it on the calendar? Am I, am I willing to invest emotionally? Am I willing to give to another person? Am I at a point in my life where I'm able to do that? <clears throat> Next question. Am I willing to initiate? Because somebody has to. Somebody has to make the call. Somebody has to invite to coffee. Somebody have to, has to extend the lunch meeting invitation. Right? And, and th those may not all be accepted, and those may not all turn into friendships, but none of them turn into friendships if somebody doesn't make the invitation. Hey, let's get coffee sometime. Hey, let's have lunch. Let's go here together. Am I willing to initiate? I think it's partially a product of our social media culture that some of us tend to sit behind technology and wait for invitations to come to us. 
I think relationally, we've become somewhat passive in our society, and we want relationships, and, and we're a little hurt that we don't have relationships, but we also don't fi- pick up the phone and invite somebody into relationship. Am I willing to initiate? Uh, next question. Am I trustworthy? Maybe this is the problem. Can people trust me in this type of relationship? Proverbs 17, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Can people trust me with their story? Can people trust me with their pain? Can people trust me with their mistakes? And if they can't, there's a level of friendship you're not going to reach with other people because nobody's going to trust you enough to get to that point in a relationship. Last question. Am I reasonably in control of my emotions? And I say reasonably because, let's be honest, none of us are completely in control of our emotions. But am I reasonably in control of my emotions? Proverbs 22, 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So the proverb writer, this is God inspiring somebody to write these words to say, if you are prone to emotional outbursts, if you spew, if you vent, if this is who you naturally are, God has told us not to be your friend. I mean, that's kind of what I'm seeing here. God has said, don't be their friend. Maybe that's too literal. But God is saying, look, be cautious when someone is, is not reasonably in control emotionally. Now, part of the problem for us today is we have more ways to spew and vent, don't we? We have more ways to spew and vent publicly where everybody can know that we're spewing and venting. And yet, God says, this is not a good quality for friendships. This is not a good quality for establishing long-term, soul-satisfying relationships with other people. Sometimes we just have to look in the mirror and ask, would I be a good friend to somebody? Am I that person? And if not, how do I become that? How do I work on those areas? Because our, our soul needs that. 2013, Harvard released... One of the longest research uh, studies ever conducted, 75 years. It started in 1938. 75 years. uh, Obviously, it was passed to different groups of researchers over those 75 years. But in 1938, they began a study asking the question, what defines real happiness? They eventually end up with 724 men, sorry ladies, but they started the study with seven, uh, they started the study with 238 men and then added up to 724 as they went through the research. And they followed them all throughout their life. And they would send them surveys and even, even uh, physical testing was a part of it. 75 years from 1938 to 2013, asking the question, what causes happiness in people? How how do people feel satisfied in their life? It started with 234 undergrad students at Harvard. That was the first group. John F. Kennedy was a part of that group. Following 
that study merged with another study that had been following men raised in inner city Boston. So completely different socioeconomics. You had undergrad students at Harvard, inner city, life wasn't great guys from uh, inner city Boston. They merged those two studies and they kept following up. They kept following up. Kept for 75 years, they kept following up with these 700 and something guys. And when they released the report, they came to one conclusion of this whole study. Here's the number one conclusion we arrived at. The single characteristic that most determines personal happiness in a person's life is relational connection. How well connected they were to other human beings. Not how many friends they have. Not they all had 50 friends. Did they have one or two or three people they were really close to? And if so, that led to happiness and satisfaction throughout their life. They discovered that the men who at age 50 had the strongest relational connections were also the healthiest in their 80s. Relational connection in their 50s resulted in healthier physically people when they were in their, in their 80s. 75 years worth of study, who knows how much money, by Harvard, and God had already told us all this stuff. Like, right, like if we just read the Bible and believed it, then we wouldn't have needed to study because God had already said, look, you need this in your life. I created you to connect relationally. And yeah, life in some ways may be a little neater and cleaner if you keep a distance, but you're sacrificing the goodness that God intended for you when you sacrifice relationships. So what do you need to do? Who do you need to connect with? Who do you need to call? Who do you need to reconnect with? Because God desires that you and I move through this life not on a solo mission, but by joining our hearts with other people that we can share life with. Let's pray. God, thank you that in your word, for all of its theology and, and e eternal big ideas, you also give really, really practical ideas. You remind us how we're made. You remind us how you created us, and you created us to be in friendship with other people, in relationship, connected to other people. And sometimes we forget this. Life gets busy. We're moving about. We settle for technological connection instead of real human connection. We trade in all the goodness of joining our hearts together for a superficial substitute. Remind us today that we need each other. We're not going to share this type of relationship with every single person. But we need a couple of people in our life that we love them and they love us and we journey through life together and we encourage one another and we sharpen one another and we're there for one another in the difficult times. That's the way you made us. So help us to live that out.